Welcome and once again, thank you so very much for joining us on today's segment of Making a Difference Through Mentorship. We believe that we make a difference and you make that difference one life at a time. Happy holidays to you all and I want to personally thank those of you that throughout the year have supported financially, sold into my life. I'm eternally grateful. Well, for those of you that are joining us for the first time, the purpose of these podcasts is to share biblical principles and precepts that help us to make that difference in somebody's life where we believe that principles and precepts uh, where there's truth that transforms is able to make that difference in somebody's life. Today's segment or today's podcast is living an uncomplicated life. If you say that something is complicated, what this means, it has so many parts or aspects that it is difficult to understand or deal with. The word complicated in the old English has its origins in the 1640s, which means tangled or difficult to unravel or take apart. That's not God's design for us to live a complicated life because Jesus sets the example for us by living an uncomplicated life. In fact, in Matthew 22, Jesus provides us with the most important aspects of life when he says that we are to love God and love our neighbor as we love ourselves. Over the course of Jesus' ministry in the Gospels, Jesus travels and he travels a lot. As he traveled to spread the gospel, he traveled and he taught and he healed, healed those that were sick and affirmed. He lived a very uncomplicated lifestyle. He ate and stayed at other people's homes and never took much with him as he traveled. The life that Jesus lived focused on his ministry, relationships with others, sharing the gospel, serving others, taking care of his health by resting when necessary, and spending time in prayer. All of these things come together to form the bedrock for you and I of living an uncomplicated life. And I believe that like Jesus did, most of us desire to live an uncomplicated life. For a lot of us, the holidays means buying presents and gifts for family members, perhaps co-workers, preparing large meals at our home for family and friends. And with all this going on in life, life can become complicated even with all of our good intentions. What living an uncomplicated life further means is to be free of any form of stress, struggle, or strain that robs us of our peace. So Peter says in chapter 5, verse 7 in the Amplified Bible, casting all your cares, all your anxieties, all your worries, all your concerns once and for all on him, Jesus, for he cares about you with deepest affection and watches over you very carefully. When as believers we cast our cares, our worries upon God, this expresses our trust in his hand of grace, acknowledging that he is Lord and sovereign over every facet of my life. The Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 4 further teaches us how to uncomplicate our life when he says, beginning at the sixth verse, do not be anxious. Don't be worried about anything, but in everything, 
by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God, which transcends, rises above our human understanding, will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. In Philippians 4 and 11, Paul further says, I've learned to be content. Whatever the circumstances, however I find myself, wherever I find myself in life, living an uncomplicated life is further experienced through what many of you have already experienced undoubtedly, or what we know as the serenity prayer, which simply says, God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Serenity is the exact opposite of anxiety. The word serenity originates from serene, meaning calm, peaceful, and tranquil. The present moment is a time when we can feel calm and be clear, able to focus on what is important in the present when we allow God to calm us, helping us to be peaceful and tranquil, living an uncomplicated life. According to the second part of the serenity prayer, we must have the courage to change the things that we can. There's a wide gulf between the things that we can do and the things we must do. Although there's no shortage of things that we can change, we also need to recognize the things that absolutely can't be changed and don't worry about them. This will save us a lot of time and heartache. The wisdom to know the difference in this prayer, in the serenity prayer, the wisdom to know the difference means that a truly wise person knows what they can control and what they cannot control. Wisdom is found in the ability to view our thoughts as if they were from a third part or I'll say heavenly perspective or point of view. Because God is Elroy. He's the God who sees and watches over you and me. When we see as God sees, we're able to gain and operate in his wisdom. By practicing wisdom, we know when to accept our situations and when to be courageous and to change the things that we can and know that the things we can control and what we cannot control. There's so much purpose and meaning in this little simple prayer. Although anyone struggling with situations that they cannot control can benefit from the power of this simple prayer. The complications of life, the stress, the struggle, and the strain include the fact that we are all emotional beings. When there is stress, struggle, or strain, there is an imbalance in our lives because God promised us that I will Keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on me. When criticized openly by the religious leaders and religious people in the church at Galatia, Paul says in Galatians 1 and 10 in the expanded Bible, Paul says, Do you think I'm now trying to make people accept accept me to seek human favor? No, God is the one I'm trying to please. Am I trying to please people? If I still wanted to please people, I would not be a servant of the Lord. There will always be people that criticize you or have something negative about you or simply just don't like you, which is a strategy of the devil to complicate your life. But Paul's response to his critics 
is a principle to help us uncomplicate the life that we live in the church, in our community, and the workplace. In other words, don't concern yourself with trying to please people. Keep your focus on pleasing God. When your focus is on pleasing God, God will balance any and all relationships that you have. You don't have much of a relationship when you drive up to McDonald's and order a number one from the menu. There will be an exchange of your money and they will give you your food and that's the end of that relationship. However, there are many relationships that we have that will always require balance because we're all very different. We don't always see the same things the same way. We may even disagree about some things, but we don't have to become disagreeable in our disagreeing. Relationship may simply be defined, relate to me on my ship. In any relationship that is important to you, if it becomes apparent that you're going in the opposite direction of that man or of that woman, there is an imbalance and it needs to be restored if you desire for that relationship to work and to last. Whether it's a marriage or the relationship you have with your co-workers, neighbors, even strangers on the street. When your focus is on pleasing God with your life, he will make the crooked thing straight because Jesus is the original orthopedic surgeon. Orthopedics is a branch, as you know, of medicine, according to Webster's Dictionary, that is concerned with the correction or prevention of deformities and disorders concerning our bone structure. The Bible, speaking of the coming of the Lord in Luke chapter 3, beginning at the fifth verse, declares, Every valley will be filled. Every mountain and hill will be leveled. The crooked ways will be made straight and the rough roads will be made smooth. Everyone will see the salvation that God has provided. And this word salvation also means rescue or escape. Jesus, as the original orthopedic surgeon, says, whatever is crooked in your life, I'm going to straighten it out. Every road or path that you've taken that has caused a detour of my will in your life, I'm going to make it smooth and you will see the salvation that I, the Lord, your God has provided. In other words, Jesus says, what's out of balance in your life, I'm going to restore the balance where your life has been complicated by crooked things. I'm going to make your life uncomplicated as you trust in me, the Lord, your God, with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding and in all your ways, acknowledge him. God said he will make our paths straight. David's life was imbalanced. There were some crooked things in his life that needed to be straightened out. There were some deformities, some disorders, but David trusted in the Lord with all of his heart. So David prays in Psalm 25 verses four and five in the new international version, David prays, show me your ways, guide me in your truth and teach me. David's life at this season of life was complicated. Historically, we don't know if he was on the run from his son Absalom's insurrection, or we don't know if he was in the cave of Adullam hiding from Saul. But David acknowledged that life is complicated for me right now. So Lord, show me your way, guide me in your truth and teach me. We never stop learning the ways of the Lord that guides us throughout life. King Solomon, the wisest man to walk upon the face of the earth other than Jesus says in Proverbs chapter 30, verses seven and nine in the amplified version, two things I have asked of you, O Lord, and do not deny them to me before I die. Verse eight, keep deception 
and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is my portion. Verse 9, so that I will not be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or that I will not be poor and steal and steal and so profane the name of my God. In another version, the scripture says, I asked, Solomon says, I asked two things from you, Lord. Don't refuse me before I die. Verse 8. Keep me from lying and being dishonest. In other words, Solomon was concerned about being dishonest with even himself. And if you can't, if we can't be honest with ourselves, we can't be honest with the Lord. So Solomon says, keep me from lying and being dishonest and don't make me either rich or poor. Just give me enough food for each day. Verse nine, because if I have too much, I might reject you. I might say, I don't know the Lord. If I'm poor, I might steal. Then I would disgrace the name of my God. The central theme of Proverbs chapter 30, verses 7 and 9, is that Solomon is asking God to uncomplicate his life by giving him balance by not making him rich or poor. Depending upon which commentaries or um, documents you read or study, Some say that Solomon's net worth was $2.1 trillion over his 40-year reign. Let me say that again. Over his 40-year reign as king, it has been stated that Solomon's net worth was $2.1 trillion, making him the richest man to ever live. Solomon says further in Ecclesiastes 5 and 10 in the New International Version, Whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. It's hard for you and I to wrap our minds around someone that has that much personal wealth. But God made Solomon the richest man to ever live, but even with more money than he knew what to do with, Solomon still lived a complicated life full of imbalance. First King 11 and 3 states that Solomon had 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines. Obviously, God allowed Solomon to have these wives, but allowance is not the same as approval. God didn't approve of what Solomon chose to do. Solomon's marital decisions were in direct violation of God's law, and there, was, there were consequences. Solomon's early humility is shown in 1 Kings chapter 3 when he requests wisdom from the Lord. God's wisdom is applied knowledge that helps us to live life practically, making decisions that honor the Lord, obeying his word. Tragically, over time, Solomon forgot his own counsel and the wisdom of God's word. In 1 Kings 11 and 4, the Bible says, as Solomon grew old, His wives turned his heart after other gods and his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord, his God, that had made him rich and had made him the wisest man upon the face of the earth. In Ecclesiastes 10 and 19, Solomon says, a feast is made for laughter. Wine makes life merry and money is the answer for all things. Solomon in this passage of the Bible is not teaching that we should focus on partying and making money. Rather, the point that is being made is wisdom 
versus foolishness. The book of Ecclesiastes in one question can be summarized. How does one live his or her life apart from God? The book, according to this season of life in Solomon, in Solomon's life is full of worldly wisdom, some of which is good common sense and some of which is not good or godly at all. One might label the book how the world thinks. But Paul tells the man or woman of God that desires to live an uncomplicated life in the amplified version of Romans 12 and 2, do not be conformed to this world any longer with its superficial values and customs, but be transformed and progressively changed as you mature spiritually by the renewing of your mind, focusing on godly values and ethical attitudes so that you may prove for yourselves what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect in its plan and purpose for you. As Solomon grew older, his wives turned his heart after other gods and his wisdom that he had asked God for began to wane. So he began to seek answers in the world's way of thinking. But God's grace and mercy was still sufficient for Solomon because God gives us the wisdom of Solomon, even as he has turned, had his heart turned by his wives. This is why you cannot allow anybody and everybody into your presence. They will either draw you, help you to grow closer to God or turn you away from God. In the Message Bible, Ephesians 4 and 23, Paul says, take on an entirely new way of life a God-fashioned life, a life renewed from the inside and working itself into your conduct as God accurately produces his character in you. To take on an entirely new way of life, a God-fashioned life, a life renewed from the inside that works its way <clears throat> into our daily conduct, God accurately reproducing his character in you and me can't resist to the reality of being shaped and molded to live an uncomplicated life by the pattern of Galatians chapter 5 in the Passion Translation beginning at the 22nd verse that describes God's character in us as joy that overflows, peace that subdues, patience that endures, kindness in action, a life full of virtue, faith that prevails, gentleness of heart and strength of spirit. The King James Version says self-control or temperance. How do we control self? Jude 21 in the Amplified Bible declares guard and keep yourselves in the love of God. This term keep in Jude 21 is a term of incarceration. In other words, lock yourself in the love of God to guard yourself from complications of life. Without God's guidance in his word and in times of prayer, it is certain that our life will be full of unnecessary complications. Yet when we keep ourselves in the love of God, Jesus says in the New Century Version of John 14 and 13, if you ask for anything in my name, I'll do it for you so that the Father's glory will be shown through the Son. Jesus further declares in the Phillips translation of Matthew 7 and 7, Ask and it will be given to you. Search and you will find. 
Knock and the door will be open for you. The one who asks will always receive. The one who is searching will always find. And the door is open to the man or woman who knocks. So Proverbs 4.23 tells us to guard your hearts. How do we guard our hearts? We guard our hearts with the word of the Lord. Guard our hearts for out of it flows the issues of life. If we don't guard our hearts, you can be sure that stress, struggle, and strain will show up with additional complications. Another translation of Proverbs 4 and 23 says, guard your thoughts for they run your life. The language of Proverbs 4 and 23 concerning a guard is the imagery of a sentry or watchman who is focused upon his responsibility, aware of every movement around him, assigned to guard and to protect, never leaving his assignment of protection and guarding. And in the spirit of this podcast, his assignment of protection and guarding against complications in life. Solomon says in Ecclesiastes 4 and 4, in the New Living Translation, then I observe that most people are motivated to success because they envy their neighbors, but this too is meaningless like chasing the wind. Sometimes we have to stop and ask ourselves if what we are working for is meaningful or meaningless. If the promotion, the raise, the bigger house, the vacation is costing us our peace, rest, and health, then all we're doing is chasing after the wind and your life is out of balance and needs to be uncomplicated. With everything going on in your life, it's easy to get distracted and lose sight of what really matters the most. In Ecclesiastes 1 and 2 and again in Ecclesiastes 12 and 8, Solomon says, vanity of vanity, all is vanity. The word vanity is better translated as meaningless. So in other words, the text in the New International Version reads, meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher, utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. Vanity is a key word in the book of Ecclesiastes appearing 34 times. The original Hebrew word speaks of the fleeting nature of things as meaningless, futile, and pointless in other Bible translations. I can remember many years ago coming across this particular statement that says, when everything else is past, only what you do for Christ will last. During this season of life in the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon attempted to understand life using human reason reason and intellect. He no longer depended upon the wisdom of God because his heart had been turned by his foreign wives, those that did not serve Jehovah Jireh, the Lord our God that provides for us. So Solomon sought to understand life using human reason and intellect. Solomon may have been out of fellowship with God altogether when he wrote Ecclesiastes. Uh, Solomon concluded in this book that nothing in life has significance without God. That's a good thing. The human experience Solomon was writing about has no purpose without God and without the revelation of God's purposes in our lives. Our lives are vacant and void of meaning. Solomon in Ecclesiastes speaks to those times when life seems empty or doesn't make sense. Even though it appears that he had turned away from God trying to find answers in his own human reason and 
interlocked. The power of God's grace was still alive in his life. Ultimately, Solomon recognized that life and all of our human endeavors are pointless in themselves. And like Solomon, if we look for meaning and purpose apart from God, our lives will be frustrating and disappointing, never completely determining or discovering God's will for our lives or simply unnecessarily complicated. There's an old proverb Chinese, there's an old Chinese proverb that says, life is really simple, but we insist on making it complicated. There's enough complications that rise up or ring your doorbell on their own. Don't complicate or don't allow other people in your lives that make your life complicated. You have to guard the anointing of God that is on your life, which simply means you cannot allow anybody and everybody to speak into your life. When Jesus, when the Bible says, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, speaking of Jesus, these are the kinds of people that we want in our lives that walk in, that express the very character and nature of God, the express image. The word express is character. The word image means icon. In other words, when you click on your app or you click on the icon on your computer, there's a program that opens up underneath what you just clicked on. So in other words, what we're looking for in somebody's life that you allow into your presence, does the character of God open up in their conversation? Does the character of God open up in their behavior and their conduct. If not, this is a person that ultimately will complicate your life. Life doesn't have to be meaningless or complicated. You have to choose who you allow into your presence because people are like elevators. They will either take you up or they will take you down. Therefore, Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 6 to his son in the faith, Timothy, beginning at the sixth verse, godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Paul reminds us that godliness with contentment is great gain. The word contentment means to be completely sufficient, to need absolutely nothing because God is our Jehovah Jireh, the Lord our God who provides for us. This word contentment, it further means to be fulfilled, satisfied, and complete. What makes a person content? What brings such contentment to the human soul, our emotions, our intellect, and will? The Bible says that it is godliness. Godliness alone can make a man or a woman content. Godliness alone can make a person or can take a person to fulfillment, satisfaction, and completement, making us sufficient. Godliness alone can give us the assurance of lacking absolutely nothing. Can you imagine being so contented, so, so, so fulfilled, so satisfied, so completed, so sufficient that when you rise in the morning, you have no, you have the sense that I have no lack. There's nothing missing. There's nothing lacking in my life that continues to unravel and detangle the complicated areas of my life because I lack nothing. This is exactly what godliness does for 
our human soul. This is the reason that the Bible declares that godliness with contentment is great gain. No greater gain in life could ever come to a person than contentment. So Jesus says to his disciples in Matthew chapter 6, beginning at the 25th verse, in the Passion Translation, this is why I tell you to never be worried about your life. For all that you need, oh glory to God, for all that you need will be provided, such as food, water, clothing, everything your body needs. Isn't there more to your life than a meal? Isn't your body more than clothing? Verse 26. Look at all the birds. Do you think they worry about their existence? They don't plant or reap or store up food. Yet your heavenly father provides them each with food. Aren't you much more valuable to your father than they? Verse 27. So which one of you by worrying can add anything to your life? Verse 28. And why would you worry about your clothing? Look at all the beautiful flowers of the field. They don't work or toil, verse 29, and yet not even Solomon in all his splendor was robed in beauty more than one of these. And in verse 32, Jesus says, doesn't your heavenly father already know the things that you have need of? Verse 33, so above all, constantly chase, pursue after the realm of God's kingdom and the righteousness that proceeds from him. Then all these other things, these less important things will be given to you abundantly. So Matthew 6 and 33 in the King James Version says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and all these other things will be added to you. The Amplified Version of Luke 12 and 32, because of the abundance of the kingdom. The Amplified Version of Luke 12 and 32 declares, Jesus says, Do not be afraid and anxious. For it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. The key to living an uncomplicated life is living in the kingdom of God that pleased the father to give to us. You have, my brother and my sister, you have more riches, rubies, diamonds, and gold than the world will ever be able to understand or comprehend because we're living a kingdom life. Glory to God. As we conclude today's podcast, Jesus reminds us this day and every day that living an uncomplicated life is found by believing in his word in John 10 and 10 in the Passion Translation. A thief has only one thing in mind. He wants to steal, slaughter, and destroy. But Jesus says, but I have come to give you everything in abundance more than you expect, life in its fullness until you overflow. So Jesus tells his disciples, seek first the kingdom of God and everything that you need will be provided because Jesus himself is our Jehovah Jireh. As we live this kingdom life, as we live in the principles and precepts, truth that transforms our very life that transforms the complicated to the uncomplicated, the truth of God's word. He says, Jesus says, I've come to give you everything in abundance, more than you expect, life in its fullness until you overflow. My brothers and my sisters, the uncomplicated life is living under the kingdom rule and reign. 
So as you do so this day and every day, now is the set time, the scripture says, to favor Zion. And the favor of God provides for us an uncomplicated life, living life in its fullness until we overflow to the glory of God.